0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. All right, if you would turn in your Bibles to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Where we'll find ourselves today. I read a book uh, a few years back by Russell Moore entitled Tempted and Tried, and in that book he makes this statement Jesus, like the prophets before him, showed us that the cosmic order was hijacked by these rulers and authorities. Talking about Ephesians 6, talking about principalities and powers. And Jesus, in His taking on of our nature, offering Himself up in death as a sacrifice for our sins and turning back the curse of death in His resurrection, He has ended the claim these demonic powers have on the universe. These powers don't want to give up on their dark reign, so they're lashing back and with fury. This means war. The sheer animal force of temptation ought to remind us of something. This universe is haunted by demons. But it also ought to remind us there's only one among us it, who has ever wrestled with demons and prevailed. And his name is Jesus. So today, you know, we didn't choose this particular text. This is the next section in the Gospel of Matthew. So we're moving through verse by verse. And we find ourselves in Matthew's account of the temptation... Of Christ, and so before we read these eleven verses, I just I want to make sure we have our perspectives kind of zeroed in here. Why this is so important? Yes, this is historical. This happened. Jesus went through these temptations, this setting, and his uh, feelings, and his thoughts, and his uh, His human side plus His divine side kind of working together. The reason why this particular passage is so important is because every one of us goes through the exact same thing. There is temptation toward sin everywhere all around, all the time. And so, this is not just an abstract account of, an, of a historical moment. This is practically beneficial for us to, to really tune in to what happened here. Okay, so I, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page before we read this text. Jesus has something to tell us. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, "'Throw yourself down, for it is written, "'He will command His angels concerning you, "'and on their hands they will bear you up, "'so that you will not strike your foot against a stone.' "'Jesus said to him, "'On the other hand, it is written, "'You shall not put the Lord your God to the test.' "'Again the devil took him to a very high mountain "'and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory.' And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you will do a supernatural work in these next moments that we share together. I pray you'll open up our minds, open up our hearts, give us understanding, and compel us to be obedient. Help us, Lord Jesus. We pray in your mighty name. Amen. The ministry of Jesus begins with temptation. Sometimes it seems odd that we would ever imagine our lives could or should be any different. Maybe we sometimes feel like I don't know why everything is so difficult all the time. Why am I constantly being uh, challenged all the time? There's always distractions. There's always these things that tend to, to pop up and hinder me from doing what I know I ought to do. Why am I fighting this battle every single day? seems like I'm reliving Romans chapter 7 when you read the Apostle Paul. when he's, I know what I'm supposed to do and I just don't have the will to carry it out. And I find the very thing I don't want to do, that's what I'm ending up doing. Why is it like this? And, and Paul even said, if you go back and read Romans 7, near the end of the chapter, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He, he was having a tough time. And then right after that, he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you today, based on the authority of the Scripture that is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, we can have victory over temptation. We do not have to live as if we have no power and no opportunity to do away with what is around us. We don't need to ignore it and act like it's not there, but we also don't need to live like we don't have the power of God behind us. I think that may be, and I'll just speak from a personal standpoint, I'll just testify of my own life. There are things, I've struggled with things my entire life. And and I feel like, because I know who my enemy is, he's a good, uh, a keen observer. So he learns. He watches. And so he knows. He knows how to push my buttons. He knows how to throw a wrench in my whole program. He knows how to do that to you too. But the reason he does that, the reason he works so hard against those who follow Jesus is because he understands, maybe even better than some of us, what his end looks like. He knows his time is short. He's trying hard though. So the ministry of Jesus begins with this temptation narrative to help, I believe, not only solidify who he is, but to show us who we are, and maybe give us some assistance as we go through our lives and fight our battles and and learn that we don't need to fight our battles, we need to hand them to Jesus so he can win. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So let's not miss the very first verse when the Bible tells us this is not an accident, This is not a misstep. Jesus was led by the Spirit of God. This was part of the plan all along. The reason why Jesus had to be tempted was because He was the Son of God. He is uh, man and God 100%, the the one of a kind, and so because of His position and His person, He had to do this because He had to live a life Free from sin. When you go to further on in the New Testament and you find yourself... And by the way, let me just prepare you. If you are a note taker, there are going to be lots of references to other parts of Scripture that are really important to this text. So I'll try to make sure I'm clear on those things so you can jot those down and look at them later. Lots of other Scripture references. But for example... When we prepare to work our way through these 11 verses and we understand that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and then we think, why does that matter? Why did He have to do this? He's God. Why did He have to endure these things? And then we go over to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. And we read these words. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus had to do this. If we're to have any chance of victory, Jesus had to demonstrate victory. And He did. He had fasted 40 days, the Bible tells us here, in the first two verses. So the natural element of Serious thinking and prayer. Jesus was engaged in fasting to draw close to his heavenly Father. And he was hungry. So he was physically weak and susceptible to temptation. So just might want to make a note here. When is the enemy going to jump all in your business? When you're weak? When you're tired? Maybe when you're hungry. When you're vulnerable. Be on your guard. Jesus was physically weakened from fasting. He was hungry. And so here is where we enter into these three different segments of temptation. The first one was the temptation of provision. Jesus is hungry. He's weak. And so the very first thing in verse 3, the tempter came and said to Him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And you see what the devil... Did right away? He tried to cast doubt on who Jesus is. If you are the Son of God. Now, what does that do? What does that do to us? If we are a certain person or a certain thing or a certain position, certain title, whatever, if someone questions that about us, for example, Uh, LeBron James very popular basketball player very talented basketball player very notable most everybody I say the name LeBron James even if you don't follow basketball you know who I'm talking about most likely if someone were to walk up to LeBron James and question his basketball skill what's the flesh want to do immediately there's some pride there. So what, what do you mean? You know, let me defend that state. Let me defend who I am. Let me show you. You don't believe? Okay, let's step out on the court. Let's do a little one-on-one. I'll show you how good I am at this game. Right, so what's the first thing the devil does to the Lord Jesus? If you are the Son of God. Let me cast some doubt. Are you really who you think you are? Are you really almighty? Are you really as powerful as people might think? Let me, let me cast some doubt on your person. So the devil tempts Jesus to satisfy his own physical needs. You're hungry. Okay, well, why don't you make these stones turn into bread? And then you have a little meal and then you won't be hungry anymore. So, Jesus answers the temptation with Scripture, as He will do in all three of these instances. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, which takes us to the context of the wilderness of Israel, their experience in the wilderness. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, here's what it says And He humbled you and let you hunger, and He fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, so that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He showed the children of Israel, Don't trust in what you see, trust in Me, God says. Trust trust My Word. So the result of this first temptation of provision, Jesus trusted in God to supply his needs. Which is interesting when you think about the whole context. Jesus is God, but he's also in human form. He's a man, so he's going through the same difficulties that a man would go through, and he's still trusting in his heavenly Father to supply his needs. So that's a practical application for us. What do we do for our needs? We trust in God. We trust that God will supply our needs. Right? Number two, the temptation of protection. Now there's a change of location when we get to verse 5. This text doesn't specify literal or figurative moving, but uh, Leon Morris would write it. In any case, we should remember the essence of temptation is inward. It does not depend on the physical location of the person being tempted. So the Bible tells us that they went to the holy city, Jerusalem. They went up to the pinnacle of the temple, high above the city below. Here's the devil's proposition. You see what he says a second time, if you are the Son of God. So he's casting doubt on the position of Jesus. The devil's first temptation was repelled by Scripture. So he quotes his own Scripture passage this time. The devil's trying to be slick. You know, I told you he's a keen observer. He learns. So the first time he makes a statement, Jesus answers him with Scripture. This time, the devil says in verse 6, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written. And so he quotes from Psalm 91. The only problem is he quotes Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12 and he leaves out verses 9 and 10. Because if you read that scripture, verses 11 and 12, which is what is in our passage here in verse 6, then you realize the quote of scripture that the devil uses is out of context because the protection that's promised in those two verses is predicated on the two verses that come before it, verses 9 and 10. Because if you read those two verses, here's what you hear. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent, for He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So, why is it that the devil would throw out these two verses of Scripture, but put them out of context, and distort the meaning. Why would he do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you go over to John chapter 8 and verse 44, here's what we read about our enemy. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Our enemy is not trustworthy. He's not honest. He's a liar. He constantly lies to us. So here's a principle that we have to really get a hold of and understand in our lives. Our enemy, the devil, will never interpret Scripture accurately in context. Never. Because that doesn't serve his plan. He will always change and distort the meaning of what God says. And he will always lie. Don't believe me? Go all the way back to the beginning of human history. Genesis chapter 3. When the, the devil rolled up to Eve, or I should say slithered up to Eve, what's the very first thing he said? Did God really say? This is not a new problem. The devil has been trying to cast doubt on God's word since the beginning. You want to stand up against the temptation that comes at us from every angle from our enemy? Get in the Bible, learn the scriptures, read them, learn them in their context. Don't take my word for it. I mean, I'm going to always try and tell you 100% truth all the time. That's my goal. That's my goal. Every time I stand before you is to tell you the truth of Scripture in its context, exactly how God inspired it and intended it. If you don't agree with that, that's okay. But use the Scriptures Don't take my word for it. Because I'll tell you this, I've learned this in my lifetime. The preacher said is never a substitute for the Bible says. Did you hear what I said? If you have an opinion or perspective or belief, whatever, I don't ever want to hear you say, well, this preacher said, I'll stop listening. I want to say chapter and verse, the Bible says, and then we can talk. But our enemy is all about distorting the Word of God and trying to confuse us. So let's make sure we know who we're up against and why that matters. Because here's what's so important. Here's what's at stake for us. Do we honestly think we know the Word of God well enough to live by it if we hardly ever open our Bibles outside of the church service to read it and study it? That's a tough question. Right? It's uncomfortable, but we've got to answer that question. Because if the only time I ever open my Bible is when I'm sitting in this room or another one like it, then here's what I know spiritually speaking, I'm dying. I'm starving to death. If my Bible is only open in here, I'm starving. There's no way I will be prepared to fight the battles, to rest in the truth of Scripture and the power of the Spirit of God in my life. There's no way I will stand against temptation if I'm not in this book, if I'm not in the Scriptures. We've got to be in the Scriptures. So what is Jesus' response to this particular temptation? He says, again, it is written. Or on the other hand, it is written. See, God's Word works every single time we use it. Every single time. There is, there is no weakness in the Word of God. Okay? That's why Jesus uses it as His only defense in every temptation this time he quotes from deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 16 and he says you shall not put the lord your god to the test see the servants of god can't demand that god should keep on intervening with all this miraculous provision for our needs it's a temptation to manipulate god to create a situation not of god's choosing where god is required to act as jesus dictated see the, the Word is our defense. He, he has spoken. Sometimes we, we get in these situations in life when maybe we're thinking, God, I just need a word from the Lord. Have you opened your Bible? Sixty-six books. Guaranteed. Word of God. Right here. You want a word from the Lord? Open the Bible. Read the Bible. Draw near to God in His Word. Jesus was tempted with provision. He was tempted with protection. But finally, He was tempted with power. And You get to verse 8. There's another change of location. This time it's a very high mountain, the Bible says. A very high mountain where the devil shows Him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And He says... I'll give these to you. Does anything seem odd about that? Well, I mean, you know, my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He also owns the hills. You know, it's it's all His. There's a uh, If you ever want to read it, there's a parallel passage of this temptation account over in Luke's Gospel. And uh, it's also in uh, chapter 4. So if you want to, you can ob- go over to chapter 4 of Luke and... Uh, The information is the same. The second and third temptations are flip-flopped in their order. But in in Luke chapter 4 and verse 6, the devil says, I'll give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. So, what do we know about our enemy? He's a liar. Yeah, he's a liar. He's the father of lies. The truth is not in him. So it's not his to give. He doesn't own the, the world, the earth. He's temporarily got some, got some power. But that's it. It's temporary. So that's his temptation. The devil shows Jesus these earthly, glorious kingdoms, territories over which a king would rule. And so the devil has twice been repelled by Scripture, so he doesn't attempt to quote it here. I think he learned his lesson but he proposes to give all these earthly kingdoms and the authority attached to them to Jesus in exchange for worship. Now, Leon Morris would write again here that this expression signifies not a passing gesture, but a real acceptance of Satan's ways. It means yielding the chief place and position to Satan. It means that if Jesus was to obtain these kingdoms, he'd have to... Accord to the evil one, the place that belongs only to God. And by the way, that temptation is real for us today, isn't it? Many who profess to follow the Christ have purchased their own empires at the, at the cost of accepting evil. Isn't that a similar temptation for us? I mean, we're not Jesus And we're not standing in front of the devil. But how tempting is it to put someone or something else in a preeminent spot that only belongs to Jesus? Do we worship other things? Is there idolatry in our world? I don't know. Is there? Do we worship money? Do we worship job, position, prestige, power? Do we worship hobbies that we like? I mean, so for me, that would look like I got to be careful about hunting and football. Where where do I prioritize those things? I love those things. Is it wrong to to love something like no? It's not. Is it wrong to prioritize those things over Jesus and worship of Jesus? Well, absolutely it is. See, there's all kinds of different idols out there and we could be tempted to, in a very subtle way, prioritize other things over Jesus. And the practical result is no different than what this third temptation is right here. So how does Jesus respond? He's through being tempted. He tells Satan to go. You look at the Scriptures, verse 10. Jesus says, go, Satan, be gone. Reminds you of James chapter 4 and verse 7. Right? This is something we should all remember. If you want to memorize a verse of Scripture, this is a great one to commit to memory. James chapter 4 and verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do you resist the devil? First half of the verse. Submit yourselves to God. James 4, 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. So this third temptation is the temptation of power. And Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13. He says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. No one else deserves our worship except for God. Our relationship is with God through Christ by the power of the Spirit. So here's a note for us as we get ready to conclude. When we are continually tempted by sin, is there ever going to be a point when we get so fed up that we actually stand on the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and we look our enemy in the eye and say, Be gone! Are we ever going to get to that point? Or are we just going to kind of lollygag around and... Just, you know, fiddle around and, and not take it seriously and just allow the devil access into our lives. You know, this this is serious business. Are we ever going to get to that point where we're so fed up with these temptations that constantly come at us that we're truly going to get serious about getting in the word and and not just checking a box but we're going to actually read it, understand it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it, and then apply it? Are we, are we really going to do that? That's not a radical idea. Oddly enough, that's normal Christianity. It's supposed to be. And, and by the way, this, this, should be, this should be taken as a note. The devil never delivers what he offers. He's, he's a liar. He's a liar. The devil never delivers what he offers. He deserves to be rejected. Satan offered Jesus sovereignty over all the earth if he would just worship Him. Jesus, Jesus worshipped God alone, and at the end of Matthew's Gospel, He declared, if you remember, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, right before the Great Commission, remember what Jesus said? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus doesn't need the devil's little games. He's already in charge. This is nonsense. The devil deserves rejection. The reward of God is always more valuable than the offer of sin. I heard a preacher say, it's been a number of years trying to remember exactly how the saying went so I don't say it wrong. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. That's the truth. That's the truth all the time. So, if we revisit that Scripture that the devil took out of context in the middle here of this text, in verse 6... The truth of Psalm 91, verses 9 through 12. Jesus was obedient to the truth of Scripture. So the result is He, God, will command His angels concerning you. Now, isn't that interesting? Because that's the Scripture that the devil tried to take out of context and try to twist and distort and try to get Jesus to take the bait and He wouldn't do it. And so now, after the temptation is over, you get to verse 11, "The devil left him. Behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Result: He will command his angels concerning you. See, that already was happening. God's got it covered. I had a friend up in Pendleton years ago. You see him at the gym every morning. We get on treadmill side by side, just talk about you know we sit there, walk, talk about the Bible. And he used to use this phrase all the time. And I, I've, I've noted it in this little sermon because it just reminded me of him. We we're talking about Scripture, talking about how Jesus can deliver you. And you know what he said? He said can't nobody do it like God can. Can't nobody do it like God can. You want to find victory in your temptation. You want to find strength against the tempter. You want to find peace in the face of opposition, run to Jesus. He's the only one who has ever battled the enemy and been successful, been victorious. He's undefeated. So it's significant that Jesus rejected every single temptation by quoting Scripture. Anything that goes against what's written in Scripture has to be resisted. Every temptation was defeated, uh, defeated by citing a passage of Scripture that had reference to the temptations that confronted Israel in the wilderness. Right? Again, we have this thought of Jesus fulfilling Israel's vocation. Where Israel failed in the wilderness, Jesus succeeded. So, here's the conclusion for us. Here's how we apply this truth. The devil is going to get us lost. Jesus is the way. The devil is a liar. Jesus is the truth. The devil is a murderer. Jesus is the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. The devil offers us temptation after temptation, claiming to deliver this ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment, but no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. The devil's been in this fight for a long time, since the beginning. He's gotten pretty good at what he does. And, and if we're alone, if we're alone, we are no match for our enemy. But it seems to be this one thing that people just keep forgetting. We're, we're not alone. When I was a kid, Saturday morning, I used to watch wrestling on TV. I don't usually watch baseball and football because those sports are fake. But wrestling is its real. You know, I used to love the when they had the tag team matches. Because it seemed like one guy was in there just getting it handed to him. He was tore up and he... He'd crawl over, you know, be real dramatic and reach over and tag his partner. And this guy jumps over the top rope, full of energy, comes in there, and just cleans house, right? That's Jesus. He's just standing there at our disposal almost. He's just holding his hand out. Hey, bro, why don't you tag me in? I can handle those people. Just, just tag me in. What are we waiting for? Why are we wallowing around in defeat and, and misery and difficulty when we've got the undefeated All American, you know, the champion of all ages, standing there just waiting to jump in here and clean house and take care of it for us? And we just, we just let him stand there. It's like he's shaking his head. We need to recognize our weakness and get out of his way and let him do his work. When Jesus steps into the ring, that fight is over. And we win. So just, it almost just seems like, do I I have to say it again? Just run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.